it says, a maskil of the sons of Korah. And the word maskil um, is a word that nobody knows what it means. So they put it in there, but nobody's, uh, nobody has any real clear definition of what a maskil is. But this is one. So if you get some insight as to what a maskil may be through this psalm, good for you. Let the rest of us know. But we're starting book two. We're going to take a look at, and, and here, this is a, um, a very strange message for me to preach. Spiritual depression? What? Right? I mean, it just, I mean, talk about an oxymoron. Talk about something that just seems to be like strange from the get-go. And yet, when, when we go through these two psalms, I'm sure you will, uh, you will agree that there is somebody who's going through some hard stuff that is sharing his experiences here in Psalm 42 and Psalm 43. And maybe, just maybe, there's somebody here this morning, possibly, who's going through some stuff. Anybody out there this morning, right? I, I mean, I, I know because I'm... Uh, close with most of you and, and know what's, you know, pretty much what's taking place in your life. And there's a lot of, there are a lot of people within our congregation and within our church family. And stuff is happening. Hard stuff. Difficult stuff. Painful stuff. Trying stuff. Disappointing stuff. Discouraging stuff. Yep. And it would be wonderful if we could just snap the fingers, make it all go away, and it's all going to be okay. And you know, um, and I, I would, I, I would give that. That's the bottom line. It's going to be okay. But while you're going through it, sometimes it can be pretty rough. And so, uh, the author of Psalm 42 and 43 is going to talk to us a little bit about spiritual depression. And if you happen to be in one right now, or you just can't seem to find your way out of one right now, hopefully this will be uh, an encouragement to you. So let's get into it and uh, <clears throat> see what it has to speak to us about this morning. As the deer pants for flowing streams, so pants my soul for you, O God. My soul thirsts for God, for the living God. When shall I come and appear before God? My tears have been my food day and night. While they say to me all the day long, where is your God? When I first got into this, I was thinking of a, a woman who was in our congregation many, many, many years ago <clears throat> who had some artistic talent, musical talent, and... Um, had written a song um, kind of around that idea, my tears, kind of like had written a song that was meant to be kind of a, a, an expression of worship. Um, <clears throat> and it was written around that, that statement, my tears have been my food day and night, while they say to me all the day long, where is your God? And I remember kind of listening to it and thinking, <clears throat> that thing's not going to work. That's just not going to make it in, uh, you know, in church on Sunday morning. My tears have been my food continually while, they, while people around me are constantly saying to me, where is your God? So <clears throat> brought back uh, an interesting old memory. So the psalmist is saying that day and night, my tears have been my food while they say to me all day long, where is your God? These things I remember as I pour out my soul. 
how I would go with the throng and lead them in procession to the house of God with glad shouts and songs of praise, a multitude keeping festival. And then he gets to the chorus. That's verse one. Then he gets to the chorus. Why are you cast down, O my soul? Why are you in turmoil within me? Hope in God, for I shall again praise him, my salvation and my God. Verse 2. There it is. My soul is cast down within me. Therefore, I remember you from the land of Jordan and of Hermon, from Mount Mizar, deep calls to deep at the roar of your waterfalls. All your breakers and all your waves have gone over me. Ah, that doesn't belong there. Okay. Oops. Okay, by day, the Lord commands his steadfast love. And at night, his song is with me. A prayer to the God of my life. I say to God, my rock, why have you forgotten me? Why do I go mourning because of the oppression of the enemy? As with a deadly wound in my bones, my adversaries taunt me while they say to me all the day long, where is your God? Have you ever gotten that? Have you ever had like just, you know, like in your head, you're going through a rough time and you can't seem to connect with God. You can't seem to like um, experience his the richness of his presence, or the joy. You think of David in Psalm 51 where, where, he's, he, where he wrote a song about his great failure um, with Bathsheba and, and all that had gone on. It's a psalm of deep repentance. And the one thing that he says in there that um, many of us can relate to, he's, is, and, and per- particularly a person in this situation, he says, restore unto me the joy of my salvation. Then... I will teach transgressors your ways, and sinners will be one unto you. But he lost it. He just lost that sense of, God, of the connection with God. Of course, he had done something terribly wrong. And uh, so this, this psalmist is kind of in that same mode where he says, as with a deadly wound in my bones, they taunt me all day long. Well, they say to me all day long, where is your God? And then he goes back to his chorus. Oh. There it is. Why are you cast down, O my soul? Why are you in turmoil within me? Hope in God, for I shall yet praise him, my salvation and my God. It looks like I may have forgotten to put um, the third part. So let me do that. Vindicate me, he says. This is Psalm 43. And you'll see that the actual... The actual wording, again, it's just a a continuation of what we were reading in Psalm 42. So he says, vindicate me, O God, and defend my cause against an ungodly people. From the deceitful and unjust man, deliver me. For you are the God in whom I take refuge. Why have you rejected me? Why do I go about mourning because of the oppression of the enemy? Send out your light and your truth. Let them lead me. Let them bring me to your holy hill and to your dwelling. Then I will go to the altar of God, to God my exceeding joy, and I will praise you with the lyre. 
oh God, my God. And then he concludes the entire thing one more time with his chorus by saying, why are you cast down, oh my soul? Why are you in turmoil within me? Hope in God, for I shall again praise him, my salvation and my God. All right, let's uh, take a minute. Let's just present this thing to the Lord and ask for his blessing. Father God, thank you for this time. Thank you for this place. Thank you for everybody here. Thank you for getting us here today. Thank you for working in our life. Thank you for loving us, caring for us and guiding us and leading us through this life. And thank you that you are still God when things get hard, when things get difficult. And they do sometimes get difficult. And in the midst of it all, we thank you that in your word, there's truth. There's an honest, real expression of how we can manage to find our way through when things are just going badly wrong and we can't seem to find the handles. Hmm. So Lord, I just pray as we, uh, as we look into this psalm here this morning, pray that you will bless it to our life. I'm kind of assuming internally that somebody really needs to be able to be encouraged this morning, that somebody's life has really taken a, 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 a negative or difficult turn. And so, Lord, we just pray, you know, we're, we're, all, we're always inclined to want to be up and upbeat and hopeful and all of that. But, Lord, I just pray that uh, this psalm will minister to the hearts of those that you have brought together here this morning and that, uh, Lord, you will give us strength to make it through the difficult days. I pray it now in Jesus' name. And everybody said... Amen. All right. Now, this would be about the, a, the, a message that I would be least inclined ever to want to preach, okay? Spiritual depression? Not really. That is definitely not my cup of tea. For the most part, I'm, I'm uplifting. I'm, I'm inclined to be spiritually encouraging, optimistic, hopeful, joyful, victorious, overcomers. You know, this is, this is the picture that I see. And, and in, in a lot of ways, I'm kind of naturally wired for that. I'm, I'm kind of a naturally optimistic person, so it's not really hard for me um, to enter into those things and feel buoyant and, uh, you know, optimistic and hopeful and all of that. But um, there, actually, I would say over the years, now I'm, I'm saved 44 years at this point, almost, and, or no, just a little more, 44 years. And I would say that for most of that time, I wouldn't, even, I wouldn't even use the word depressed. I would never say of myself I'm depressed. I might say I'm a little discouraged. I might say I'm having a rough time. But the whole concept of depression was something that I felt like, no way, out of bounds. Because, again, because part of my personality just naturally goes to a, a more buoyant, more upbeat kind of joyful, happy, it's easy for me to connect with those things and to really go through long or prolonged periods of time where there's just real discouragement dogging you or you're just really feeling down and spiritually frustrated, um, I wouldn't even acknowledge it. No way. You can't touch me. However, life has a way of kind of bringing you into the fullness of all the experiences, and some of them are wonderfully joyful, optimistic, ebullient, highs, and there are also 
There's something that, that people in the, uh, in the church along the way used to call or used to refer to as the dark night of the soul. Ever had a dark night of the soul there, Pastor Joe? Ain't been knocking on your door, yeah, right? See if you can come in, but you're saying, uh, sorry, you got the wrong house, right? But they, it, this is just something that uh, has kind of been, been experienced. Some people have been through really long, difficult, hard struggles, and we've had our share of them. The last few years have uh, served up a couple of things that have been uh, rather tough to go through, and, and, and just like, I'm the kind of person, you know, like, I'm a man, and so as a man, I want to fix it. Okay, that is, that's what men do. There are problems. Now, ladies, if there are problems, they want to talk about it. They talk about it. It's all good. Everything's better. Men, we want to fix it. And so you're looking for, where's the tools? How do I, how do I get after this? Right, it's just part of uh, kind of the way that we are wired. And there are just some things that come along, and, and like, you can't fix them. You can't straighten them out. You can't just, you know, make other people think differently or choose differently or be different than, than the choices that they've made. And so it can be kind of difficult and can be kind of frustrating. And uh, so that's, that's apparently what's going on in, uh, in this guy's life. And uh, so we have, oh, what is that thing? Get out of here. Okay. Little weird things that pop up. Okay, so what we have here is the poetry of someone. He is one of the sons of Korah who was in the grip of some deep spiritual discouragement, deep spiritual depression, and he's looking for a way to get out, okay? And he keeps on coming back to that chorus three times. Why are you cast down? Oh, my soul, what's the matter with me? <laughs> it reminds me of a time we were in Times Square Church, and there was a guy up front, and, you know, it was an altar call, and there was a guy up front, and he had his hand on his head, so, come out of me! Come out of me! <laughs> you know, just something just so overwhelming. Get out of my life. Get out of my head. Get out of my emotions. Um, but there are just sometimes, you know, like you're, you're just overwhelmed by a, a dark and discouraging and, and depressing um, set of circumstances, and you're looking for a way to get out. Now, what's the background to this psalm? Well, some people have said the psalm it, uh, um, was probably a psalm um, written by somebody. It may, it may have something to do with the Absalom season in David's life. If you recall what happened with Absalom, Absalom, Absalom was David's incredibly handsome son who... Um, uh, was seeking to uh, to gain influence with people w within the court and within the, within the uh, the general congregation of the people of Israel because he was looking to kind of like usurp his father's throne, and so um, then David, in the midst of it all, things got so bad that David and all of his household had to just take it on the lamb they got on their horses and they were out because it was all set up that he would have been murdered. So some have thought that this is um, a, maybe a statement of David, you know, why are you casting? He was going through this very difficult time, this rebellion of, by the son that he loved. Sorry, I got, I got really a dry mouth here this morning. By the son who um, was so special to him, who, uh, who did him so wrong. So that's one possibility. Others have said this is possibly an exile 
psalm, a psalm that, that, was, that came up when, when the uh, Jewish people were exiled into Babylon, which would explain the, the continued references to, um, while people all around me say to me, where's your God? That's the one that really gets to you, right? In other words, this person not only is going through a difficult time, they are in some type of a set of circumstances where other people are around looking at their or observing their situation, and they are, they're, they're taunting with this. And, and that can happen either as just simply a demonic kind of a thing. Where's your God? Where's your God now? Okay, what are you going to do now? What's God doing for you? What has he done for you? You know what I mean? This kind of, these kinds of things can either come to mind uh, just simply by, can be demonic, kind of, uh, instigated demonically, can be people, uh, naysayers, discouraging people that are around you. There are people who, who really just want to see you fall. Because if you fall, then everything that you've been talking about in terms of Jesus and, the, and God and the Bible and all of that falls with you, and then they don't have to pay any more attention to all of that. So there are a lot of people around who want nothing more than for you or me or any of us to fail or to go through um, spiritual depression. So it could be an exile psalm, it could be an Absalom psalm, nobody really knows. Um, but it involves a person who is experiencing a deep, troubling situation regarding something that has to do with expectations. Okay, whatever you might call it. You could call it, they got the blues, they're having a bad day, they're kind of discouraged, they're depressed, whatever, whatever we would want to call this. Um, they're in the middle of a very difficult time, <clears throat> and they've lost their zest for life. That seems to be what the psalmist is reporting here. Why are you so cast down? Why am I walking around? Why am I so defeated? Why am I so discouraged? Get a grip. Get a handle on yourself. And this seems to be the conversation that this person is having. And it's an important, I think it's a, an important and, and an insight that <clears throat> you can't let the circumstances dictate your mindset. You have to dictate your, the, the right mindset to your circumstances. So when he is saying in this situation, put your faith in God, put your hope in God, for I will yet praise him. And that's ultimately where we're, where we're going to wind up here <clears throat> this morning. So when you've lost your zest for life, when, when just all of your joy seems to have vanished somewhere, when simple tasks just seem overwhelming and impossible, when you feel overwhelmed by everything, when hope and joy just simply become nothing but words, but things, again, when David is writing in Psalm 51, he says, restore unto me the joy of your salvation. When those things become nothing but words, they have no real meaning, then you're in the mode, you're in the zone that uh, the psalmist is in here in this uh, message about spiritual depression. <clears throat> so let's look at two related ideas with two reasons and, and remedies for it. There are really three flaws, um, three flaws of, of spiritual wholeness, right? Now, you've heard of the four laws of spiritual, the four spiritual laws. Here are the, um, the, the three spiritual flaws, okay? The four spiritual laws are... Um, uh, we've been through all of that. God loves you and has a wonderful plan for your life. Jesus died for you, you know. But we're going to take a look for a moment about th at three flaws of spiritual wholeness. And the first one is it's just all in your mind. It's, it just gets your, gets your thinking straightened out. It's just in your mind. But 
Depression is not only something. That's what that's where I would have been for years and years and years. I wouldn't even acknowledge that depression was something that people were really struggling with. Because for me, it wasn't something that really was a, a major obstacle for most of my life. But um, it, it, there's more to this than it's just all in your mind. The Center for Disease Control in Atlanta did a study, and they found that 9% of people are struggling with feelings of hopelessness and despondency and or guilt that generate a diagnosis of depression. 9% of people in this study were already dealing with feelings of hopelessness and despondency and or guilt that were generating a diagnosis of depression. Moreover, they report that at any given time, 3% of all people suffer from some aspect of major depression, <clears throat> a long-lasting, severe form of depression. David says in Psalm 139, for I am fearfully and wonderfully made, okay, um, which obviously refers to the complexity and the, the intricacy and all the things that the human body can do, and that certainly is the case, fearfully and wonderfully. The least of us is fearfully and wonderfully made, but it also seems to say <clears throat> or be saying that we are complex creatures. A lot can go wrong. Certain factors can, can change the equation for us. Family history, genetics, personality factors, as I'm saying before, stress, biochemical issues, all of those things can affect the state of mind that we happen to be in. An imbalance in brain chemistry, low serotonin levels. This can, like, this can disrupt your sleep pattern. Um, norepinephrine levels are disrupted, can produce uh, fatigue, depressed mood. There's lots of things that, the, the, the point being made is that there are lots of things that can go wrong with us. Yes, we are fearfully and wonderfully made. We are complex, but that complexity can, um, can be difficult sometimes. So <clears throat> there are um, factors that uh, affect our ability to cope with fear and stress. So the first of the flaws is it, it, that, that needs to be discarded is it's all in your mind. Okay, no, it may not all just be in your mind. There may be a, a reality to all of this that, <clears throat> that needs to be addressed. The second one is Christians should never be depressed. I would have said that for sure. Christians should never be depressed. Christians should be joyful and happy and excited and optimistic. And, I, and that's perfectly consistent with faith, I think. In other words, I read the end of the book. I know how it's going to turn out. I'm going to be with Jesus forever in eternity. My name is written in the Lamb's book of life. I'm good. Why are you so cast down on my soul? Right? So I, I know, you know, so, you know, someone will say, well, Christians should never be depressed. But if you believe that, it would be a good idea for you not to read the Bible very much. Because you'll find that if you read the Bible, the authors of Psalms and, and in other places in Scripture, they are all over the emotional map. Okay, there are times, you know, when David says, help, oh God, I'm drowning and the waters have come up to my neck. Right? I mean, he's actually, this is, this is the situation that he finds himself in. You know, <clears throat> we're, we're often inclined just to create kind of a false picture of what it's all about to come to Christ to serve the Lord. It, we, we assume everything will just automatically be solved, right? Problems will be gone. I'll always be 
healthy. I'll always be wealthy. I'll always be happy. Everything will go good because Jesus is in my life. And that's kind of the way I've always looked at it. And still, I expect it because it's going to go there. Put your hope in God, for I will yet praise him who is my help and the joy of my countenance. Okay, so it's gonna, I'm going to get there. But there can just be that season when you're toughing it out and you're grinding <clears throat> it out. So we have resources. They will enhance life. They can make things better. But in some cases, coming to Christ will make things difficult. It'll certainly make things difficult in terms of your relations, right? People that you know. If you come to Christ, and all of a sudden it was funny. I was listening, or I was talking to uh, Lou. Is Lou here this morning? And we were, no, okay. Just put a check on him. Lou's out. Absolutely, right? He's gone. (laughs) Easy come, easy go, right, Pastor? No, but Lou got baptized last week. It was wonderful. And we were talking before all of that, you know, and he was just saying how his life had been that kind of like, you know, continuous like hitting the wall over and over and over again. And, uh, and then it was uh, the, the, what I found interesting, and probably all of us have experienced that, where he said, um, I didn't have to get rid of my friends. They let me, you know, they, they took off. Once he became a Christian, like, you didn't have to worry about, well, I'm going to have to somehow let this person. Once you, if you really become a believer, you really become a Christian, believe me, those old friends of yours, they won't want to be hanging around with you anymore. And so, you know, it kind of helps you to know who your, who your friends really are. So anyway, you know, sometimes coming to Christ can actually make things rougher. And flaw number three, so we've had, it's all in your head. Number two, um, that uh, uh, Christians should never be depressed. Flaw number three, if you are depressed, it means that you are unspiritual or that you are immature. Um, But again, if 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 you buy into that, um, when you read your way through Scripture, you're going to find that it doesn't reconcile well with Scripture. Uh, take, for instance, Moses, right? It says of Moses that Moses chose to um, be, be mistreated with the people of God rather than to enjoy the pleasures of sin for a season, okay? You might read that as Moses chose to suffer oppression <laughs> under the hand or by the hand of the people of God rather because his all of his life, once he brought the people out, they were constantly hassling him and badgering him and on his case all the time. And we don't have this and we don't have that. He went through a whole lot of difficulty, actually pushed him to the point where he was trying to get them some water. And they made him so mad that he whacked. Now, the water was supposed to come out of this rock. And uh, God told him to do that, right? Go over there and strike the rock. And it was supposed to be a, a symbol, a type of God providing refreshment when there was no refreshment, right? So it was out of the rock. But instead of tapping it, he whacked it. And he whacked it again in anger. And that was cause for him not to be able to go into the promised land. So, you know, Moses went through his things. Or how about uh, Jonah? Okay, so God says to Jonah, hey, I'm sending you to Nineveh. Uh, Jonah says, "Uh, I don't think so. So Jonah gets on a ship and he starts going 
in the exact opposite direction, but God still is going to get what he wants to get done. And so here's Jonah, he's on the boat, and all of a sudden there's storms and there's problems and there's trouble all over the place, and all the guys are going, Who's, who is responsible for this problem, right? And they, they start throwing dice, and guess what? Turns out to be Jonah, and so they pick him up and heave him over the side, right? And down he goes. He said he, he, he's sinking down to where his, he's, getting, um, he's getting caught up in all the weeds and all the stuff that's on the bottom. And he doesn't even think that he's going to live. And along comes this great fish, whatever it may happen to have been, and swallows him up. I mean, he went through some stuff, <laughs> right? <clears throat> so then he goes to Nineveh as directed. He preaches to the people of Nineveh, although he doesn't want to because he doesn't like the people of Nineveh. As a matter of fact, he would be much happier if they all were just simply destroyed, okay? Because there's a bit of a thing between uh, the people of the Assyrians and the people of Nineveh, and the, they, they, were, they treated the Jewish people when they took over the northern portion of, of Israel. They, they, they intimidated them with incredible terror and, and did all kinds of things. So anyway, he wants to see them get there. So he'd be totally happy with that. And God says, no, go preach to these people. They need to repent. I want to I get them straightened out. So he preaches to them, and they do. They repent. And now he's really bummed. And <clears throat> so he's sitting, and, and, this, and, and, and this whole thing about a gourd and a vine and all this stuff that grows up, but he's just absolutely sitting there completely frustrated by the fact that God did what he said he was going to do. So, you know, sometimes there are discouraging things that come your way. That's not, that's not the end of it. Man, there's more. How about Elijah? Elijah is on the lamb. He's on the run from Queen Jezebel. Jezebel is after him. Jezebel and her prophets of Baal. Have, uh, and Elijah has stood up to them, and Elijah has continued to be a servant of the Lord. And but he, now he finds out that Jezebel is after him. And what we read is that <clears throat> he gets to a point, he runs off into the desert, and he says, take my life. Take me out now, right? That's, that's how discouraged he is. Um, and here's Elijah who has, <clears throat> who has just called down fire from God. So he's, he's just had an encounter with prophets, 500, 500, 300, five. Huh? Who knows? <clears throat> okay, but he's just had an encounter with these prophets of Baal. He's called down fire. It, I mean, this has been an incredible demonstration of God's power. Now he finds out Jezebel is really ticked. She's after him. He goes over and he says, God, just kill me now. Right? So you can kind of go from a place of like being on that spiritual, being in the zone to like, just kill me now, God. Let's, let's just get this over with. <laughs> Oh, and here's another one. This one is always uh, important or memorable to me because this is my wife's first sermon. Okay, not to me, but this takes us all the way back to Bible school days. Do you remember where you were? I remember us going through it. It was was kind of a, a a combined effort, you know, because everybody had to get up and preach in Bible school in, um, in, in chapel. And so sooner or later, your number came up and you had to preach. And for lots of people, it was like, oh, no, the worst possible thing. Just like, I, I should do that. <laughs> I should do that. I said, Sunday morning, as people are walking in, I go, Tom Castles, that's who God wants to preach the message here this morning. 
we'd probably be nobody here. Right? That would be the fastest way to empty this church out. <clears throat> but um, here's this passage. Now, now, notice what Paul is saying about his situation. He says he was burdened beyond measure. He despaired of life. Let's see. Right? He's, it's 2 Corinthians chapter 1. crazy. All right, there we go. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of mercies and God of all comfort, who comforts us in all our affliction so that we may be able to comfort those who are in any affliction with the comfort with which we ourselves are comforted by God. That's a mouthful. But he's basically saying, God gets us through and God comforts us and God helps us to find our footing in the midst of difficult times. And the purpose, and this is a good thing to keep in mind just in terms of this, uh, this overall message, the purpose or when God helps us through it is to teach us something about who he is so that we can do that same thing for the next person who's coming along. And so <clears throat> he says, um, with the comfort with which we ourselves are comforted by God. For we do not want you to be unaware, brothers, of the affliction we experienced in Asia. For we were so utterly burdened beyond our strength that we despaired of life itself. Indeed, we felt that we had received the sentence of death. This wasn't Lorraine's like best message that she ever, yeah. <laughs> you know what I mean? It's kind of, <clears throat> it, 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 it's a very difficult passage. It isn't the passage I think that most people would go, like, I want to preach on that. You know, <laughs> Psalm 23, maybe anybody, or, you know, something that is a little more uh, uplifting. <laughs> <All right. clears throat> she does most of her preaching to me is actually, you know, I'm kind of her congregation and her, her project. <clears throat> anyway, so, um, so people in the Bible have gone through very, very difficult times. So it's not an unusual thing. Even, even a, a, a name as great as Charles Haddon Spurgeon, okay? Spurgeon was, he is known as the Prince of Preachers. I mean, if you can read his stuff, it's, it's, it's what, 100 and, it's almost 200 years old now at this point, and yet it's fresh, it's powerful, it's moving, it's quotable, Right? But Spurgeon himself actually suffered major bouts of depression. Here's what he confessed to his own congregation. He said, I have been in depths of despair, which I hope none of you, to which um, I hope none of you ever go. So here's this guy who we think of as just like, he must have been like this just picture of spiritual victory. He says, I've been in depths of despair, of which I hope none of you ever go. He also wrote, there are dungeons beneath the castles of despair. <clears throat> so, uh, I am no clinician, <clears throat> but let's look for some of the reasons for despair or, some, uh, or, or of discouragement, uh, depression that are found <clears throat> in this psalm. The first one that I see is unfulfilled expectations unfulfilled expectations, managing expectations or keeping them in a place where <clears throat> it's very easy to have expectations that can be extremely disappointing. Going back to, the, uh, to, to this psalm, here's what he says. As the deer pants for, for flowing streams, so pants my soul for you, O God. My soul thirsts for God, 
for the living God. When shall I come and appear before God? My tears have been my food day and night while they say to me all day long, where is your God? These things I remember as I pour out my soul. How I would go with the throng and lead them in procession to the house of God with glad shouts and songs of praise, with a multitude keeping festival. The author of this psalm, excuse me, just feels cut off from his spiritual connection with God. Whether this was someone of David's um, entourage or whether this was someone, uh, uh, an exile somewhere in Babylon, if you look at the expressions, he says like a thirsting deer, he's panting, he's desperate to find <clears throat> refreshment, he can find no relief. Psalm, <clears throat> I'm sorry, Proverbs 13, 12 says, hope deferred makes the heart sick, but a longing fulfilled is a tree of life. And there can be things that you've hoped for, prayed for, longed for, um, and you just can't seem, they, they, they're just not arriving, at least not arriving on your timetable, not arriving on your schedule. And that's one of the things <clears throat> that, uh, that can be a source of, of depression, un- unfulfilled expectations. <clears throat> we all have expectations. Some of them are realistic, some are unrealistic, but the more unrealistic the expectations are, um, the more severe the depression will be. There's an article that I was researching in, in preparation for this message. Um, by, by, uh, it was a Vanderbilt University study. And here's what it says. This is interesting to me. Pentecostals are three times more likely. This is a Vanderbilt University study. Um, they studied 2,850 North Carolinians over a six-month period, and they, they came to the conclusion that Pentecostals are three times more likely to experience major depression than any other Christian group. You find that interesting? Okay. Now, why would that, why would that be? Well, <clears throat> um, because people who are already distressed were, att- were already attracted, people who were already depressed were attracted to Pentecostalism because of the upbeat nature and the promise of, of, of pen- or the Pentecostal type of promise. I, I don't know whether you define yourself as a Pentecostal or if you, uh, if you understand what it, what it means is Pentecostal portion of the Christian church is the church that kind of focuses and majors in on this whole idea of being filled with the Spirit, speaking with tongues, gifts of the Spirit, signs and wonders, very big. I, we, we got saved big time in a Pentecostal church, went to a very, very Pentecostal charismatic Bible college. Um, and one, one time uh, somebody actually came to me this years ago and said, is, uh, if, if, like another uh, a synonym for Pentecostalism would be spirit-filled. Fair enough? Okay, spirit-filled. So somebody came here and said, is this a spirit-filled church? Now, I know, I know what they were looking for. You know, they wanted to know, are we having any, you know, prophecies and all of that, right? And uh, so the person said, uh, is this a spirit-filled church? I said, I hope so. (laughs) Not much of a church if it's not spirit-filled. Yeah, it's a spirit-filled church. Of course it is. But with that whole idea of that particular approach to Christianity where so much of an emphasis is placed upon the miraculous and the supernatural and the wonder-working and the the, the, the great thing that God is, there's almost no room in that view for discouragement. There's almost no room within that view for a difficult time or a dark night of the soul. So this, this study said that um, the group 
of the 2,850 people experienced a rate of depression of 1.7%. Pentecostals were 5.4%, which is not to knock Pentecostalism at all, but is simply to say expectations. What are the expectations that we have? Because if my expectation is every time I, I don't have money, God's going to supply money. Every time I'm feel, not feeling well, God's going to instantly heal me. I'm going to be healthy, wealthy, and everything is going to always be wonderful, and God's going to answer every prayer of mine. Um, that can be an unrealistic expectation. The second reason is criticism. You'll notice throughout that psalm in Verse 3, he says, my tears have been my food day and night while they say to me all day long, where's your God? Okay, verse 10, he says, as with a deadly wound in my bones, my adversaries taunt me while they say to me all the day long, where is your God? So in Psalm 42, 3, he says, why do I go about mourning because of the oppression? Whoever the psalmist was, he was surrounded by critical people who were taunting him concerning his faith. Oh, yeah? Where's your God now? As he's going through this difficult time, and that just, that just pours gasoline on the fire. That just makes it all the much more difficult. Think of the, the Christian student who's in a secular university, okay? As they say to me every day, where is your God? So the Christian student who's in the secular university and is being constantly assailed and taunted about the claim that they make to have faith in God, well, that's just simply being derided. That's just simply being mocked. Criticism can be a, a part of a process that, that can be very spiritually discouraging. Um, Proverbs 12, 25 says, anxiety in the heart of a man causes depression. Think of a person who's working in a workplace that's filled with unbelievers and skeptics, and you're the only person that's walking with the Lord. You're the only person that um, has a testimony for Christ. So living under constant criticism will and can wear you down. It can beat you up. If you are around unbelieving people all the time, that can be one more of those things that can cause spiritual um, depression. The third is accumulation, okay? Now there's that passage, interesting passage, where he says, deep calls to deep at the noise of your water spouts. You're uh, at the noise, uh, uh, I'm sorry, all your breakers and all your waves have gone over me. Now, that can mean a couple of different things, but it sounds to me, if he's talking about all your waves, it's like somebody who's in the surf and they're getting hammered, wave after wave after wave. Okay, if you've ever been in that situation, I love the surf. I love uh, to be in the ocean. I can swim for any, any amount of time, love being in there. But sometimes you can get caught up in either kind of like a, the rip type of current or something like that, and you just can't get out of it. You just cannot re rescue yourself from this thing that is dragging you, which you know, while we were away on, down the shore, there must have been three or four days where there was just no swimming whatsoever because it was just dangerous. But he's kind of pointing, I think, to that kind of an experience where he's saying, man, it's one thing after another. Boom, boom, right? And when he says, deep calls to deep at the noise of your water spouts, you're, all of your waves, all of your breakers are just rolling over me. And I'm presuming that I'm probably not the only person who has felt here that like, hey, how about a little break here? <laughs> how about a little, a little time out? Right? Because sometimes you just feel like you're getting hammered. You're just getting hammered. Accumulation of, of difficult, trying circumstances can um, be something that can, uh, that can lead us into a place of spiritual 
depression. Another one is recollection. He says, these things I remember as I pour out my soul. I used to go with everybody to church. Oh, man, we used to go to church. We used to praise the Lord. We used to go and sing and worship God and be joyful, right? So he's going back and thinking about those times before. What happened to all of that? What happened? Again, like David said, restore unto me the joy of your salvation. He says, so the past will either be like a rudder that can guide you or it can be an anchor to hold you back. You can become imprisoned in the good old days. You can, you can expect that all times are going to be always the same. And there will be different seasons. That's, a, that's the truth that I've experienced. There will be different seasons and different ways that God will interact with you. My experience has been that God meets me somewhere along the road. Pow! Big time. I mean, and this is the way it's worked. Now, that doesn't happen every day. As a matter of fact, that doesn't happen every year. That happens kind of on a period of maybe like 10-year intervals where God comes along and just intersects my life and lets me know he's there. And then, see ya, later. And it becomes, God, here, this is, this is the, the, the picture I would draw. I'm going along like this, and in comes God, boom. And God says, I want something more. And we go up. We take a notch, we take it up a notch. And then, God says, good, stay with that for a while. And then you go down the road a little further. And and again, I I wish that God was intersecting my life every day and I was having these wonderful, deep, powerful, transformative experiences with God where we're walking in the glory and walking. But it hasn't worked that way for me. But there have been moments and times, and I I believe that's the expectation. But God is, the the name of the, or the purpose behind all this thing is God is trying us. God is testing us. God is challenging us. God is looking to 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 produce more fruit, like he says in, in, uh, in John 15. You know, if the Father sees that you are fruitful, he'll prune you to make you even more fruitful. Okay, so part of this, a major part of this whole thing is God intersects your life, he teaches you something, he shows you something, and then he says, okay, go for it, live it out. And then it's the long obedience in the same direction. Then somewhere along the line, he'll meet up with you again, and there'll be some new directive, and it'll be a new step up. So there are just seasons in all of this, and, um, and, and it's, a, it's a mistake to try to remain in the same season or assuming that everything should always be the same. God is a God who does something new all the time. And so to just simply um, try to keep it where it was or to relive that same experience can be a cause of spiritual discouragement. One more thing, preoccupation with self. In this psalm, he mentions I, me, and my 51 times. He mentions God or the Lord 21 times, okay? He's a little over-concerned about his own set of circumstances. He's a little over-concerned about <clears throat> what's going wrong with his own life. And, he, and, and, and you can kind of hear that in the, uh, in the overall um, tone of the psalm. So those are all the things I think that will... Um, that can be a source of spiritual discouragement. Um, But the answer is one, and it is singular, and it it is something that all of us must learn to be able to do. Because he keeps on coming back to that refrain, and he says, why are you so cast down? Why are you so bummed out? 
Why are you so ticked off? Why are you so fearful? Why are you so angry? Why are you this or whatever you are? Put your hope in God. Put your hope in God. Is it easy to do? Not always. Sometimes, again, we become so preoccupied with the troubles, with the burdens, with the difficulties, with the fixes, with the solution to the thing that is so true. We become so anxious about all of that that we lose touch with who we now are in God and what we now have and what God has for us and, and where all this is leading and where it's all taking us. Right? So he says, put your hope in God, and here's the promise. He says, for I will yet praise him. I'm coming out of this thing, is what the psalmist is saying. I will be out of this thing. It will run its course. It will take me where it needs to take me. God is in charge of it. Nothing's happening to me that God has not allowed, that God has not sanctioned. God is in this process, and I will yet praise him who is the help of my, who is my strength and the help of my countenance. Hallelujah.